laughing and said that. Didn't say it to your wife, though, did you? Especially now when you have blood pressure issues and heart issues and stuff, it's like, don't eat that. It's got too much salt in it. Did you put salt on that? No, me, that was not salt. I don't know what it was, but it was. I found it in the cabinet. I don't know what it was. But I decided I'd put it on here anyway. It couldn't have been salt. There's no way. I want to do something interesting over the next two weeks. So turn to Matthew chapter 5. Start with me or follow along. We're going to read starting in verse 13. I'm going to do a little mini-series this week and next week called Salt and Light. We are salt and light. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is speaking to, the, to his followers. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Obviously, this is part of the incredible Sermon on the Mount. We dealt with this a, a while back. We never got into what I want to look at today in great detail. I'm going to take this week and next week and look at these simple words of Jesus Christ to his followers, his message to the church today. We are in the church age. We've been in it since Jesus came. We will be in it until Jesus comes back, also known as the last days. Now, as we sit here, Jesus Christ has given us as his church, as his body, a mandate. And it is to be salt and light in the world in which you find yourself. I place you there. Today, we're going to look at the idea of being salt. And there's two things that are going on here. Notice, notice flip back, if you would, to the beginning of chapter 5. Jesus had just spoken what we call the Beatitudes. And I just briefly want to read these and understand the context going into what we're going to talk about salt and light. He's up on the mountain. Uh, the way that's I got to call it Sermon on the Mount, to call it. He went up on a mountain, verse 1. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Or the humble, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus gathers his followers together and he says to them, here are the attributes you need to manifest as a follower of mine. This is who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer. Today we use the term Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, the term literally means little Christ. What Jesus is saying, this is who you are. This is, these are to be the attitudes you have spiritually. You are to be meek. You are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You are to understand you're going to be reviled and persecuted because you stand for something. You are a Christian. Jesus said, this is who you are. You will inherit the kingdom. You will be blessed. You are to be merciful. You are to be meek. You are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You are to be like me, and you will be blessed for that. The Beatitudes. These are who you are. And then he turns in verse 13 and says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you were the light of the world. And I thought you were the salt of the earth. Here's the point he wants him to understand. You. It is a plural pronoun here in Greek. You corporately made up of you individually. There is the church, universal, and then there are individual believers. But he's saying this is who you are to be, and this is who you, corporately as a group, this is what you are to do. These are your marching orders. Notice, you are the salt of the what? 
You ever hear that anyone use that phrase about someone? Years ago, you'd hear it all the time. Say, man, he's salt of the earth. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It was a compliment. He's the salt of the earth, meaning that's good. He's a hard worker. He's a good man. He's the kind of person in trust. He's a man of integrity. He's the salt of the earth. It was a compliment. Jesus is saying, I want you to do two things. Salt of the earth. I want you, Christ in us. Paul's favorite scripture, Christian. I want you to retard corruption. Slow it down. Stop K. We're gonna talk, that's what we're going to focus on today. What does it mean to be salt? And then next week, he says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. So that's the day. Next week, the light of the world. We're going, we are here to retard spiritual decay and moral corruption, salt of the earth. And we're also here to be the light of the world or to veal truth. And the older I get and the longer that I share the word of God and I listen to other preachers and I, and I talk to people, it is absolutely essential that we as the church of Jesus Christ understand this two-pronged call of our Savior, our Master, our Commander, as he sends us out into the world, is to understand he expects us, his body, to manifest him by being salt and light. And so today what we're going to focus on is absolutely the world needs more salt. Now, I don't need it in my life because of my blood pressure, my heart, my weight, and all my other issues, but the world needs us to be a moral influence to retard decay is eating our society alive. This week, this week, I'm sure some of you saw this, our Congress in its wisdom passed a bill that will allow abortion-based gender. That's barbaric. Barbaric. We're supposed to be the most advanced civilization that's ever been on the planet, and our leaders in their wisdom and got on TV and defended it, that if I discover I'm having a girl and I'd rather have a boy, that just kill it. Unbelievable. I don't even understand. I'm glad God is a God of grace and mercy, because if Randy were God, you know what he'd do? If they voted for that, they're gone. Any Christian can vote for that with clear conscience. They ain't a Christian. Something wrong. It's barbaric. And we're supposed to be the most enlightened culture ever. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great theologian from years past, talking about this idea about society. Jesus said, the world needs you to be the salt of the earth. At the end of the 18th century, he wrote these words, quote, The most competent historians are agreed in saying that what undoubtedly saved England from a revolution such as that experienced in France at the end of the 18th century was nothing but the evangelical revival. And this was not because anything was done directly, but because masses of individuals had become Christians and were living this better life and this higher outlook and had this higher outlook. The whole political situation was affected, and the great acts of parliament which were passed in the last century were mostly due to the fact that there were large numbers of individual Christians found in the land. Now, that was the end of the 18th century going into the 1900s. At the end of the 19th century going into the 20th century, there was a feeling of confident optimism in the Western world based on the belief, quote, that an ongoing biological and philosophical evolution would eventually solve all man's troubles and lead to something closely akin to the Greeks' golden age. The idea was that all human life was advancing and rising upward. It was coming into the 20th century at the end of the 19th. This same theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, writes these words. Quote, it is indeed pathetic to read the prognostications of the thinkers, so-called, the philosophers and the poets and the leaders toward the end of the last century. Wars were going to be abolished. Diseases were being cured. Suffering was going to be not only ameliorated, but finally eradicated. It was to be an amazing century. Most of the problems were going to be solved, for man had at least really begun to think. The masses, through education, would cease giving themselves to drink and immorality and vice. And as all the nations were thus educated to think and to hold conferences instead of rushing to war, 
The whole world was very soon going to be paradise. This is not caricaturing the situation. It was believed confident. That was coming into 20th century. Let's think for a moment. What did the 20th century? Let's see, we had World War I, we had World War II, we had Korea, we had Vietnam, we had the Middle East, we have, we still have, we had two Gulf Wars, we have terrorism, we have jihad, we have ethnic cleansing going on right now, even as we speak in the 21st century. And the 20th century gave us such enlightened thinkers and advanced human beings as Adolf Hitler. Is man getting better or worse? Man is what he's always been, he's a sinner. He's self-centered, he's interested only in himself, and given the opportunity, Men will rise and be as cruel as they possibly can be to others. And many times in the name of their God, whatever God, whoever their God might be in their mind. Does the world need more salt? Here it does. What will change America, make us a great nation once were, when masses of individuals like the 18th come to Jesus Christ and say to their leader, we will not accept things like what's passed in our we won't vote for somebody who stands just like we will not stand individually, believers as Christ, and corporately as a church. Next week we'll talk about we reveal truth. We reveal truth. So what Jesus is saying when you get to verse 13, I've just given you what it means to be a follower of mine. Be meek, be humble, seek after righteousness. Now, here's what you do with that. Here's who you are. Now, here's your responsibility. I want you to go into this world and be salt. So I want to take a moment and just look at this picture of salt. What is it, this metaphor? It's really an interesting one. So what I, what I want us to do, because it's just a simple statement, but Jesus obviously is the greatest teacher that ever lived and the greatest illustrator, the master of all. And the way he taught things, magnificent. I want us to think back for a moment, 2,000 years, put ourselves in the culture, in the minds, in the, as I was saying, joking this morning in my class, put yourself in the sandals of the people 2,000 years ago. When, when Jesus says to them, I want you to be salt, you notice the list I put there on your handout, what salt was, a decay preventer, a flavor enhancer, a valuable commodity, a healing agent, a thirst producer, and a cleanser. Many of those things it still does today. Let me just give you some illustrations from 2,000 years ago. Salt was a sign of friendship. If you shared salt with someone, it meant it became mutually responsible to look after each other's welfare. It was like signing a covenant. Even if your worst enemy, you shared salt with him, you then were to look after his affairs. That's how serious they took it. It was a very common substance. How many people needed salt 2,000 years ago? They all did. We'll talk why in a, in a moment specifically, but one of the primary reasons is because they had no refrigeration, and they desperately needed it. Everybody needed it. It enhanced the flavor of food. When they you take, make you crave necessary fluids, even today, for example, they'll give you salt tablets so you'll drink what you need to take in. Be thirsty for the right things. Everybody needed it. Everybody desired it. It was a healing agent. They would put salt in a wound. As a matter of fact, thousands, it's a little later on, but Napoleon's troops died because they did not have enough salt in their body. And their wounds could not heal. Result. It was used as a cleansing agent. Elisha cleansed the waters of Jericho with salt. Newborns were taken and washed in salt. In the culture of the day, it was a very extremely valuable commodity. Plato described it as dear to the gods. Homer described it as divine. Pliny wrote, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. The Romans called it, quote, the purest of all things because it came from the sun and the sea. Interesting thing about Roman soldiers, often they were paid in salt. It's called Latin salarium argentus. It's where we get our word salary from. They were paid in salt. The Greeks traded salt for slaves. We get to where we get the phrase, he's not worth salt. That's where it came from. It was used to seal covenants. And Levit Leviticus 2.13 says this, 
Moses writes, every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So even in sacrifice, you are offering it. In Da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, Judas has an overturned salt cellar in front of him. Theologians have debated years what exactly he's trying to say by that. But the number one thing I want us to focus on and think about is the number one usage of salt, what Jesus, I believe, is alluding to, despite all, in, in addition to all those other things, is that salt was used as a preservative. They had no refrigeration, and there was a tropical climate. And what they would do is take meat, and they would rub salt into it to affect the meat and retard its going bad, slow down the spoiling process, slow it down so it would not become rotten or decay, become putrid where they could not eat it, slow that down. It's exactly Jesus trying to get his followers to understand and wants us to understand today. I want you in the earth affecting it. Let them see. I want you to be part of the fabric of society, and I want them to see in you individually and corporately what a Christian is, the values that exist, who you are, that you're living out these beatitudes that set you apart, that make you different as a follower of mine. I want you to be a preservative. I want you. And I love the picture. Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. And again, it was probably the most common thing Jesus could have chosen. They would get it. They would understand immediately the metaphor because they all needed salt. They all desperately had to have it to survive. Jesus saying, the world needs you. Quick example. What was the last thing Jesus said before he left the planet? Go where? As you go into the world, make disciples. Learn or follow. Teach them what I have taught you, and I'll be with you forever. What he says in Greek is, as you go. In other words, where are they going to go? Even if they didn't want to go, guess what? They were going to go. If you read the book of Acts, exactly what happens. Acts 1 through 7, they don't go. They hang out at Jerusalem. First, they're scared in Pentecost, and they, but they don't want to leave Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Stephen is martyred at the end of chapter 7. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, says persecution came and they scattered. Where'd they go? All over the world. What'd they take with them? The gospel. As you go, make disciples. How are they going to do that? By being salt and being light. I want you, I expect you, you're marching orders. In the same book of Matthew, Jesus said, the gate of hell will not prevail against my church. You go, an offensive term. The gates of hell will not prevail. You will knock them down. Why? Because you are my church. You will prevail. Why? Because Jesus God, he is our Lord, he is our master, he is our savior, and he has said to us, I want you salt. You're to be different. You're to see things like your peace, your joy, your happiness. Realize that's all the Beatitudes were, that this is what it takes to be genuinely happy, and it ends up, well, you're going to be reviled, you're going to be persecuted, and Jesus said, that'll make you genuinely happy. Let's back up. He said, understand it's coming. Later on, he says to them, we saw it in the upper room discourse, the world will hate you. Why? Because they hated me first. And who are you? You're a Christian. So when you go out and you represent me, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to revile you. The time is going to come when they'll put you out of the synagogue and they were all Jews. That wasn't a good thing. They're going to put you out of the synagogue and they're going to call it a good thing when they kill you or excommunicate you. But understand, when it's for my sake, I will bless you. For you will be genuinely happy. Yes, it'll be hard, but you will be genuinely happy. Why? Because you're a Christian. Now I want to go and be salt. That's the picture. Now let's look at our purpose, talking about these things. Number one, and really this is the focus of all of it, we are a preservative. We are a preservative. As I said a moment ago, the you there is plural. So he's not just talking about 
the disciples, not just talking about the ones that would become the apostles, not just talking about the preachers and the leaders and down through the history of the church. Who's he talking about? Salt, the most common substance known to man. You, everyone is to be salt. Not just the disciple, not just the Apostle Paul, all of you. Later on, he write in the epistle, the apostles write that all believers are priests, not just the ones who lead. All believers are priests. Think about every Sunday in the beginning service going through and the precious children that are down here, realizing that as your children pour yourself into them, that next generation coming along. In my case, not just my children, now it's my grandchildren. Watch, learn things, and I can even see in my grandchildren develop Christ-like attributes, in some cases non-Christ-like attributes. But on my oldest granddaughter, I watched down here, she's got a bit of heart. She's so much like her, her grandmother. You can't stand not somebody's feelings. Many of you have baptized a few weeks. We were a coach. A coach. There's one girl on there, and Ella came on to practice last week. She was riding with me. She starts whispering. whispering. It's just as many of you know her. Grandy. I said, why are you whispering? And we get out of the car, and we're walking up to practice. Comes over to grass. And she's like, it bothered. She didn't. She knew probably shouldn't be saying that. She didn't want to hurt the little girl's feet. But she also knew the little, wanted me to know the little girl was mean. Well, I already knew that. But it's fun to watch them. It's just as promised. We are to be a perfect us the world. Second thing is tying into that. We're there. You don't have to get up, but you could be different, be carried, be part of their life. Interest there it leads into the next one. purifiers, purifiers, letting them see it's your life. A life that God has, a life that's interested more in other people, oneself. It's not about me, it's about genuinely. And then the other one is poisoners. You ever taken salt and poured it on like a slug? What will it do to it? What? It will kill it. Salt, if you take it and put it in certain places, it just kills. And God wants us to kill certain things. To take a stand, saying my life, and to stand up, even in our society, that's wrong. We won't always be successful in love. You see, we talked about earlier, coming into the 20th century, you had all these great thinkers that saying, well, we're, go- we're getting so much better as a society. Now, let's stop. We are in the first thing better. Probably not. Have we made advance technologically? Just in my life. I thought about my dad the other day. Really fascinated. That's why I went back and watched. And I thought about how life has changed my dad's. But even in my life, 2019, think how the world has changed. I used to remember as a kid, I loved, I'd go to my grandmother's house. I lived in a little community about 100 miles from And I remember I loved those Sunday afternoons. She'd let me do this for a little while. I'd pick up the phone and listen to others. They called it a party line. Anybody ever, how many of you know what a party line? Well, impressive. They had these two old ladies. I don't know why they were always on there. But I loved to go to Mama Stewart's because we didn't have a party line in Memphis. I picked that thing up and listened to these two ladies talk about everybody. And when, and when your phone rang, it wasn't always for you at Memo and Mom Stewart. When it had to have a certain ring or it wasn't yours. Well, I didn't care when it rang. I picked it up because I wanted to listen to whatever was going on. And Mama Stewart snuff running down. You can't. And then she'd want to kiss me. And when I get, all right. And I'd say, please, Mama Stewart, don't make me. All right. The world isn't getting better. Again, what, what was happening in Congress week and what's going on and every day, whether the paper or you turn on television, you get on the computer, if you follow any news at all, they'll, they're just, they'll kill anybody for any it's disgusting. So much oral, I put you there. It's not dealt with your lives and we will rot. 2000 didn't take salt. Genuine about your, you want to be, they'll be drawn to that. Our job is to, by being there. If you have salt in your house and salt shaker, therefore, if you never take it out of the salt shaker, I use mine a lot. God said, here you are, I've put you. God wants to get out of the church, be who we are, get out into the world, come together, corporate, grow, be challenged, go out in the world, salt, where you are, where you are. Salt was the most valuable commodity of the time. I love Jesus. One of the things I think he's saying to them, you're the most valuable. 
In John 7, Feast of Tabernacles, the Bible stood up a last, this was after the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now this was after seven days of people constantly looking for and bringing water. At the end of the seven days, Jesus stands up. You've been coming day after day after day looking for something. And now let me offer to you the one thing you're looking for. I can give you rivers of living water. It goes on to say in that passage that he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The one thing you're looking for, I can offer to you. What does Jesus say to us today? The one thing everybody you know is looking for, you can offer. As a Christian, you have peace, you have hope, you have happiness, joy, you have security, contentment. Tell me somebody's not looking for those things. A lot of times they're trying, they're looking for it in a job, looking for it in a relationship, what else, they're looking for all kinds of places. In the person of Christ, you find hope. The most valuable thing, penetrate our And finally, our peril is salt. We can lose our flavor. We can lose our value. Look at what he says, verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled afoot by men. Now, salt today, we salt we have normally is flavor. But where they got it from back then, it could. Here's what would happen. When it lost its flavor, they took it and they would throw it into a footpath. Why? It would kill. It's like putting down gravel. You would have a path you could walk on that didn't have mud and didn't have weeds. You use salt to make that path. It wasn't good for anything else except it lost flavor. And it was trampled underfoot. What's the picture for us as believers? If we're not the salt that God wants us to be, then we're of no use. He didn't save Randy, he didn't save you, he didn't leave the church here, just enjoy each other. Matter of fact, that, <clears throat> that's only a small part. He left us here to do what? Go into all the world and make disciples. He is coming back one day. He wants us to be salt, to be at work. I'll give an example and then we're going to be, it's a true story. Guy happened to be a preacher, but it didn't necessarily have to happen this way, but he was. He was a pastor in Texas, and he was in a hurry one day, and he had to be, he was in the mall, and he had to be several places. He saw this sign in the mall that said two CDs for $9.99. So he wanted a Leonard Skinner. I don't know. So he runs into the store in the mall, and he buys two CDs. It's supposedly $9.99. He pays his money. He drops the bag. He runs back to the car. He jumps in. He's in a hurry to get somewhere, and he looks down at the ticket, and he sees that the girl only charged $1.99. He said the Holy Spirit pricked conscience and said, you don't have time not to go back. So he goes back and he's standing in line. The same county comes up to the girl and he shows her, you only charged me $1.99 for the, you made a mistake. He said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you made a mistake. You only charged me $1.99. It's supposed to be $9.99. He said, sir, I didn't make a mistake. Look, I'm in a hurry. We got to go. He said, I didn't make a mistake. She said, I've been out of church in 10 years. You had burnout and more anything. And my life is miserable. The other day I decided I would church. So I sent it back to the preacher, which was your church. So when you came up here today to buy those CDs, so I only charged you $1.99 on I don't know what you had. And the manager's door was Christian. He came up and told the preacher to leave. The manager's door let her to Now all he did was what? The right thing. Be salt. The right thing. Chuck Swindoll, I don't know exactly the question. In one of his sermons, your character is his want to. We want to make it. We want to affect it. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a Christian. I think sometimes we are guilty of taking that granted. Lord, I thank you Jesus came, died in my place, in our place, that we might not just go to heaven, but be salt right now. I pray, Father, we would be different. We would choose to follow Jesus Christ, not just say this is my choice of religion, but because we want to be different, knowing that only Jesus can change a life, only Jesus can give someone meaning and purpose. I pray you'd use us simple daily tasks of being salt in our world so that people drawn to what we have. I pray that Christians here, Father, someone here is not like that girl. They would simply say, I do, I need hope. I need, I need, I need tent. I need security. I pray right now they would thank you for dying for the trust and save them.